In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I survived the Hugh Jackson era. Jack was wearing that T-shirt tonight. Uh, five years today, I think it was, Jack. Um, he pulled, um, Sashi pulled the plug on the... Uh, fax machine for the AJ McCarron deal. Oh man, what a legend. It's uh, Imagine how different everything would have been if we go into that next season with AJ McCarron as a quarterback. Crikey. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't even like to map out what that would have been, but we're in a good spot. Um, Andrew Berry had a good press conference today, as always said, very, very little, and the beat looked stupid. But we're coming off an, an incredible game. It was a make-or-break moment for the Browns' season. We lose that. It was, hey, happy to blow it up in the bye week. The season's over. Some exciting stuff at the end when Watson comes back, but it was nothing can be saved. Whereas now we're sat here going, hey, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, uh, 104 years old, is now washed. Um, well and truly, the Dolphins are all over the place. Explosive, but then can't defend to save their lives. And then you're going to lose the Bills, but the season's back on. Very unlikely we get into the playoffs, but there is hope and there is a there is a genuine route there which we can be successful, which we would not have been saying if this was a loss. And it wasn't just a win. It was a really, really impressive performance everywhere. Ian, you're on the show as well. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. We're... Uh... We're still riding high on that momentum from the uh, the wonderful. It's always good when you end the week, that Monday night game, and you get the win. It makes you just feel so much better than kind of that loss on a Sunday where you got to watch all these other good football teams play and win. So it, it was it was like Jack said, it was not just a win; it was a resounding win. They dominated. Uh, the nice part is, is I think it added an extra dynamic to the trade deadline, right? Because even Andrew Barry t- said today they were in the business of acquiring players, not shipping them out of town. So yeah, overall good game. We're going to break it down a little bit. Talk about it. Obviously the team didn't make any big moves at the deadline. Deion Jones was really the only move they made. Uh, but yeah. So what do we want to kick it off? Sorry for interrupting Jack. Who do you think that player was? This could be a world world exclusive here. Cause Jack will probably nail it. So I don't know is the honest answer. I don't think it was the people. People have said, oh, it was Deron Payne. Oh, it was Brandon Cooks. It wasn't those guys. So the reason why I can feel pretty confident, there is no way they're trading a second round pick because if you give up that second round pick and we still officially don't know which third rounder we gave to the Texans, but let's work on the basis. It was our pick. Um, Then we've only got the comp pick left. So they're not going to go into the next draft with their first pick being about pick 100 because it's just not a sustainable position because it's all right looking at now and going, hey, we're great now. Well, four years down the line, you're relying on these draft picks from this year, last year, the year before to be the core of your roster, to replace the Miles Garrett's, the Nick Chubbs. When those players retire, the players that you've drafted now are the ones that are then getting that money. So you're just not in a good position if you destroyed that. If we were sat here in future and we had that first round pick you can trade that back and you can get the draft capital bell back so if they're going to acquire someone I think it's more your bottom of the roster guys then Neville Gallimore who is a third round pick not particularly great defensive tackle that could have been a guy from Dallas where they went oh we'll we'll go get him I don't think it was a, a big investment that people get excited about hey 2025 we can look at that stuff once we get our first round picks back all right I got I got a theory This is throwing a name out there. He ended up getting traded. Do you think the Browns were in on William Jackson, the third? Because if they were looking to move greedy, he's the one that ended up going to the Steelers, I think for like a sixth round pick. I almost wonder if it was a a challenge there because he wanted to leave the system they were playing in the commanders, which was a 
primarily a zone and go to a man coverage defense. His contract would be very favorable for being dumped next year. I think the Browns were maybe looking at a corner if they were going to flip greedy. That was the guy that when I saw him get moved to a division opponent, I said, I wonder if that's who it was. Cause I kind of wondered if they'd be in on him before the trade. Then I saw him go to the Steelers and then Barry made it mentioned today. So I definitely think it was probably a defensive player, but if this is a guy with high upside, what are your thoughts? It's a one-year deal um, because they would have cut him for next year. So it's possible, but I, I don't even, I guess it depends what the future looks like with Ward. Because if they're really uncomfortable with Ward, then I get it. But if Ward's due to come back soon, then they're probably like, yeah, we'll roll with it. Because you've still got, he's still getting paid three million this year, even after what the uh, Red. Uh, commanders or whatever they're bloody yeah. called now have uh, taken on so well, I, well that's I why i wondered if it was jackson and greedy a player player and then a pick swap and the commanders were like no we just want the pick and the browns are like we're not just giving you a pick we want to pick swap and you can have this player that's why i wondered if maybe there was somehow involved that way listen the, we'll never know the one trade i would have loved for the browns if we still had sort of our first round pick would have been to go after uh the tight end hawkinson I would have loved to add him because they gave up very, very little. Um, and I think th- this is the sort of move that we might see more often where they gave up a second and a third and got two fourths back with the player. And that's a move that if you're analytically driven is really, really promising because in the grand scheme bit to go from the end of the second round to the top of the fourth round, isn't that much. Um, it's not the end of the world. Um, and then you're getting a player back that's really good, got a year and a half left on reasonable salary. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if we start seeing some, some more moves around like that. Might be you're waiting till again, you've got first round picks to do something like that. But uh, yeah, if teams are willing to take picks and have that pick swap function, then pick swap to hell because giving up a sixth and getting a seventh back, it's a nothingness. People are like, oh, they gave up assets for Deion Jones. They didn't give up anything for Deion Jones, if we're going to be honest. If someone says, give me something and give me five cents or five pence, you hardly felt like you've invested in that asset. All right, before Paul gives us the breakdown of the game, Jack, do you feel there was one trade that was like actually a good trade? You looked at it that was like, that was the best trade of the trade deadline. And was there any trades where like that was the worst trade of the deadline? Did you the two deals on each end of the spectrum stick out at all? So for the buying team, the one I loved was Hawkinson. Um, I for the love. Um, for the one that I just hated the most was Roquan Smith. And I am over the moon that the Ravens have gone and traded him. It was funny watching. You've got an element of Brown's Twitter that's having a meltdown. That this great so-called linebacker is signed for a rival and i'm like hey if they want to pay 20 million a year for a linebacker in the modern nfl then hallelujah i would be willing to contribute to that because that is exactly where you don't want to spend your assets um there it just makes no sense in the modern nfl you're paying miles Garrett 25 million a year and you're going to tell me roquan smith is 80% 80% of the player Miles Garrett is, you are having an absolute laugh if you genuinely believe that to be an a- true. And not only are you paying him 20 million, you're giving up a second and a fourth round pick to have the pleasure of paying him. Nuts. That would have been an aneurysm for Jack if, the, if uh, Andrew Barry would have pulled that one off. But no, and listen, the Bears, I think, taking that Roquan pick and then turning it around and getting Claypool. Listen, I got my beef personally with Claypool, but I think there's far more of an impact coming from that position than the linebacker position. Hence why I think Ryan Poles and the GM out here basically said, we are really not even close on a number. They they wanted him back, but not at the number he wanted. So yeah, I definitely think that that'll be an interesting one to watch because as good of a player Roquan Smith is, he never really helped the Bears win a game. I mean, he did a great job tackling downfield five yards. One downside to the uh, Roquan Smith trade. So Lamar Jackson will get tagged and it's going to push Roquan Smith's price up because he knows he can ask for anything and they'll effectively get the deal done. That's going to continue to push up JOK's price. And the nearer we get to JOK's price continuing to rise when he's been the third best linebacker on this team this year behind Anthony Walker and Taki Taki, 
it continues to get to the point where it's going to be difficult for this front office to go, yeah, we do want to sign that money. So I know people aren't going to like that. You think we can flip him to a second round pick once he hits his peak in value? We'll hit him with the old Patriots motto. Hey, if, if we, if what well, this is year two, if we get to the end of next year and someone wants to give me a second for Joe, okay, I will fly to Cleveland, get in my car and I will drive him wherever he's going. <laughs> the Notre Dame fans out there are just already tweeting hate at you right now. We got I say a linebacker just ran over the things at my house here. Tacky tacky is about a linebacker. Suck Ooh. it. Ouch. What do you think Speaking Joe, of tacky tacky, let's talk about this game. What do you think Joe Coe's worth as a uh, draft pick, Jack? <laughs> like asking a vegan what his favorite steak is. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not happy with all this unlove for JOK. We love the person, and he's a great guy who jumps out of holes sometimes, but it's not a value. I mean, think about this, Paul. Anthony Walker, they pick up off the street, and he's the fifth-rated linebacker, right? He's one of the highest-graded defensive players in the league. Taki Taki was his third-round pick. Elliot Wolf liked. They couldn't really figure him out too much at Sam. They moved him to Will for a hot second. Then he went back to Sam, and now he's at Mike. And now, all of a sudden, he's grading out at 80s and 80, 85s. And he's making an impact, force fumbles. So it's about understanding the defense. And Barry talked about that today. We've talked about it before. What is the role of the linebacker in this defense? If you're physical up front, because this is, and we'll get a little bit down this, but the linebackers are playing the role that they're given. And that's really what you need. You don't need Roquan Smith for that because you can get it from a guy in the third, fourth, fifth round. That's why signing JOK to a $20 million deal is not exactly realistic. It's more about, Hey, can we get him off for some sort of a you know compensatory asset, whether it's pick or with trade, and then draft the guy underneath him like Tony Fields? Yeah, it's when you're going, hey, let's pay Joe K if if it is say it's say 17 and a half million, because he's not quite that 20 million range. Or would you rather have him or would you rather have Anthony Walker, Tacky Tacky, Pochich? Um, let's throw in somebody else because we can afford to pay somebody else as well. Well, I think I'd rather have those four or five players than Anthony. Um, Joe okay. so it's, it's one where I'm going yeah he, he's nice but he's I, I ain't paying him 17 and a half million um sorry but we're still going for another um two whole years after this year yeah so it's two and a half years from today <coughs> so it's not at that panic station and at the end of the day if he's gonna go get 17 and a half million on the market I would leave him all the way through and someone else can do it in free agency and I'll take the comp pick because I'll happily let him produce for all four years if someone's going to offer me a second or a third with a year left on the deal, I'm up for taking that because if I'm going, look, I've paid Anthony Walker, I've paid um, Tacky Tacky, I'm really happy with them. And crazy, crazy, crazy thing I look, found when I was looking up. Anthony Walker is younger than Joe K. Yeah, it's only by a couple of months, but I was shocked at that as well. Um, I'm so used to Anthony Berry, and Andrew Berry drafting young players. When I saw Taki Taki was old, it was like, what is this old dude doing here? For the record, Anthony Walker was in the 2017 draft. Taki Taki was in the 2019 draft. So that just kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. Walker was two full draft classes ahead of Taki Taki. Anyway, let's get on to the offense because I think we've gone far off pace <laughs> so far. We haven't been together in a while. You guys subbed that good-looking Ben Albright in for me, and geez, it's... I got a lot. I got a lot of catching up to do. All right. Overall, before we get on Ben, you guys had a good time. It looked like the Denver game was good to go. How was Wembley? Wembley was good. Um, a nice tailgate before outside area at the Greenman Pub. I think it's called Jack at Wembley, top of a hill. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was, um, it was uh, good. Um, a nice day out, but um, I just don't. Watching NFL London games versus watching the Browns are worlds apart, I'm afraid to say. And uh, um, yeah, I think next year I prefer to make sure a, a diehard fan has my ticket rather than me. I may not go. So did you get to watch this Monday night football game from the comfort of your own couch? Yes. Perfect. So how ben do we think? On, ben was on one sofa, I was on another sofa. There you go. All right. So what did Ben think of our offense? What did What would he have graded it? He was he was impressed with the Browns. I never asked him what he's graded it. 
So, um, but look, I'll start on my grade first. I'm going to go with an eight for the offense. There was some interceptions. So that's where my thing is, eight. Jack? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in that sort of eight, nine range. So definitely with the positive, I thought there was loads of great stuff. There was lots of creativity, um, eight offensive linemen on a snap. Um, certainly confused the hell out of me. Um, insane numbers. Michael Dunn playing 23 snaps was really good. And I, I think there's a lot of credit belongs on Stefanski for this game because losing a player like David Njoku, who's been sort of the second most integral part of the receiving game, um, to lose him and not even skip a beat, really. Um, when And it wasn't the fact that Harrison Bryant stepped up. He was still absolute trash. But um, the whole thing just kept moving. And that was just really, really exciting. Um, we were obviously in a position where Eli Apple wasn't playing, which it makes it harder for you because you'd rather he was out there. Um, that's how bad it is. <laughs> but, uh, don't, t- don't tell Tyree kill that. <laughs> it's one where I, I, I genuinely really, really happy. And I don't know where the rankings are, but we're one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL so far this season. And that is something just to remind yourself. And it, it's been really good. It's been cons- pretty consistent across all games. It's not been, hey, we get 40 points one week and then next week we're trying to get to t- sort of 15, 16. It's been consistently good offense. And um, no, I, I'm happy with an eight, but I'm, if you'd have said nine, I'd have been happy with that as well. So chuffed. I think you look at the performance overall and you start at 10. We had one interception by a wide receiver. That's definitely a minus one. And we had the fumble by Brissett. But overall, I mean, Jack, listen to some of these stats, because this is, I think, when you overall look at them. The Browns possessed the ball for 36 minutes and 45 seconds, 24 first downs, 12 on passing, 12 on rushing. So when you talk about balance, pretty good. Eight of 13 on third down, meaning you're talking third and shorts. Uh, They didn't even have to make a decision to go for it on fourth down. They were zero for zero. 440 total yards, averaging 6.4 yards of play. Um, let's see, we had 172 yards rushing, was sacked twice. Obviously, one of those was the fumble. The one thing I think they need to clean up a little bit, there was six penalties for 56 yards. But Brissett finished the game. I mean, I know there's a bunch of stats out there, the next-gen stats, but 17 to 22, 278 yards. So averaging 12.6 yards of completion, one touchdown, Chubb finished with 101 yards rushing on 23 carries. Hunt 11 for 42. Mari Cooper, your leading receiver, five catches, 131 yards. Peoples Jones, four for 81. The Browns completed the ball, six different receivers, and you had two guys rush over 40 yards. Overall, I think that's the type of game you're looking for offensively. You you had mentioned, I think we're top seven. I think we're seven. I think I heard the presser earlier. Stefanski was able to keep the Bengals guessing like you could watch on first down. You weren't a hundred percent sure because remember you started to see some talk at the end of that first half, like, Oh, we're not using Chubb enough. We're not using Chubb enough. And it's like, well, yeah, but we completed two passes for 25 yards to people's Jones and 27 yards to Amari Cooper. So a 25 yard pass play is six good quality runs. So if you're able to break off and say, you know what? I tried to run it on first down or I threw on first down and I'm still able to get these, you know, impact plays it gives you the ability on offense to kind of dictate where you're going to go to your point with Njoku being out, the Browns were able to utilize many different targets and weapons. And that I will say, I did give Stefanski credit when the Bengals botched the, the prefer uh, like penalty on their first extra point. He said, you know what? Let's go for it. Pound it in there. It's eight, nothing. And I don't care what anyone says when a team goes out, the Steelers used to do this. You remember, right? You score and it's not seven, nothing. It's eight, nothing. I think you're setting tone saying, no, we're, we're coming at you today. And there's another thing that did work really well for the, the run game was it was Cooper deep to the right. Um, and then they ran it next play and they'd been struggling with the run and it wasn't really getting anywhere. But what happened after a deep pass play defense takes one step back and boom, chub up the middle. And that that's exactly what you've got to do. The run game is a complement to a successful pass game It is not a solution in itself. And um, Stefanski is well aware of that. Um, Andrew Berry is well aware of that. And Stefanski even said it in his post-game 
press conference. Um, just yeah, straight up, it was like, no, you run after your passing successfully. The idea, and when we talk about third down efficiency, a lot of times when you ask coaches, oh, how do you know who's going to win the game? They talk about turnovers and they talk about third downs. Well, to your point, Jack, if you go out and throw a quick bubble for four yards and run the ball and set up third and short, your conversion percentages go up. Any game balls? So I'm on oh, a three. Eight or nine, Ian. I'm going with an eight. I just, the two turnovers bring me down. Yeah. All right. To answer Jack's question, this is controversial. On the offense, I'm going to give the ball to Donovan People Jones. I thought when they needed him, he was there. I mean, Amari Cooper obviously had the big plays, the big catch. He's a six-round pick. Yeah, I don't, I don't really stepped up in that game as the second wide receiver. Is that fair, Jack? Oh no, he's, he's certainly a second wide receiver. Um, we'll be having some words about him because we've got an exciting series of shows coming next week. But um, which uh, we'll chat uh, a bit more about later. Jack, who are you going to give the ball to? There's two guys I want to give the ball to on the offensive side. Um, there's one. Well, they both came into the sign for the Browns not expecting to be starters, and they're doing a phenomenal job. And it is center Ethan Posich, and it is quarterback Jacoby Brissett. I think both of those guys deserve a ball after that game. They were phenomenal. Um, Posich was doing some crazy stuff where they, they were effectively going out of the huddle and just snapping the ball straight away, which was causing fits for the Bengals because you almost want some time as a defense to just suss out where the offense is, straight out of the huddle, boom, down, ball's gone. He was going really well. And Jacoby Brissett, even after the fumble, had just his best game as Cleveland Brown. I think both of those two are in the top five graded players for the uh, PFF for, across the entire NFL this week. Um, the other one was on the defensive side of the ball, who we'll get to next. Yeah, I think if you go Posick or Brissett, I mean, Peoples-Jones, Cooper, Hunt, any of these guys, really. And we, ha we have to give credit when it's due. What were you going to say, Jack? Hunt? Really? Um, no, not Hunt. Um, Chubb. Oh, sorry. sorry. Come on Chubb, in, Chubb, Cooper. I, he's just on my mind. The other guy I'm thinking, I, listen, we, we got to be fair because sometimes we criticize when we also have to compliment. Jedrick Wills. Jedrick Wills played very well. One of my big worries. Now, it helped when Trey Hendrickson kind of got dinged up a little bit. He's been battling injury. But at the end of the day, it's a division game. You know they're going to bring the heat. It's Jacoby Brissett, and I thought Wills did a good job uh, protecting the blind side over there for Jacoby Brissett. Because, I mean, Jack, we had five players grade above an 84. You know, Wills, Dunn, Brissett, Betonio, and Posich. You know, so five offensive or four offensive linemen and a quarterback all graded at 84 and above, followed quickly right there in the 70s with Peoples-Jones, Bell, Chubb, and the block of the game. James Hudson coming in motion to lay out Akeem Davis Gaither on the edge, which I think that got them fired up. I don't, Paul, did you see that one live? I didn't know, but I'm going to now quickly go on Twitter and see that play again. Oh, if you look up James Hudson, he's going to have a highlight reel because it is, it is definitely a play, but you know, overall, these are the things we're talking about when you're off. Oh, mentioned Cooper enough. Cooper's just Cooper, right? He's old reliable. Here's the thing. I think Jack didn't say the same thing. Amari Cooper and Nick Chubb are almost direct replicas of each other's at their positions. They just do their job. They catch the ball. They get first downs. They pop a big play here. They score a touchdown. Their post-game interviews are three minutes long. <laughs> That's really just all they are. It's, it's, it's a joy to have Amari Cooper because, yeah, is he quite a 20 million wide receiver? You can get into the, is he quite worth that? Maybe not, but I, I don't remember my, in my entire time of being a Browns fan, a veteran wide receiver that was paid, let's say, $5 million plus, And I was happy that he was on my team. Um, it's just been a disaster for the entire time I've been a, a fan of this team. So it, it's a joy to have him and go, yeah, I actually want this guy to be around um, rather than, yeah, he's a, a net loss on the offense. There's problems there. So, yeah, over the moon with Amari Cooper. And look, if he got an extra half a second, he is throwing for a touchdown. Um, it was purely a great bit of play by the Bengals' defense. 
um, just to get that sort of bit of pressure on him. And then he had to rush it um, because if he, he gets the air on it that he wanted, that's straight over the top. And Michael Woods is getting his first TD. And I don't think there'd have been a defender within 20 yards of him. Yeah, there definitely was. And he had slipped by. The defense kind of just recovered. I jokingly said that Mark Cooper must have thought Von Bell was David Bell. But listen, we can laugh about it now because you end up with a resounding victory. But overall, Paul, did you get a chance to see James Hudson's block? I did. So is that like a fullback position then he played? Like a tight end. Yeah, he's coming in motion. So that's the play the Browns had eight offensive linemen in, if I'm not mistaken. And they brought him in motion. And at full speed, he laid out that linebacker. And then the idea is... He leads and then the other person follows behind. The idea is you have four guys to the left of your center that all are offensive linemen. So, I mean, Ross Tucker kind of jokingly said, or no, was it him or Jeff Schwartz? Somebody said jokingly, you know, and actually this conversation my brothers and I used to have in the bar was, could you gain a yard rushing in the NFL? And we jokingly asked a few players that, and they'd be like, yeah, there's no chance you'd live to talk about it. And Jeff Schwartz said, I'm starting to think that with that blocking, you actually could get a a yard because, I mean, Paul, you see it. That line just collapsed. And then the Bengals just did not have enough big bodies. And the Browns offensive line, led by the man, Bill Callahan, just absolutely wiped them out. And James Hudson got going. So good for him. Cool. Defense. For once, we don't have to kind of hold our breath, right? Overall, Jack, why don't you start us on this one? Overall, what do you think of the defense? Just to look at the defense as a whole, and it, I think it's more frustrating than it is um, anything else because it's t- really, really turned around. And it's almost the frustration of, well, if we were like this at the start of the season, where would we have been at now? Um, because weeks one through six, uh, just defensive EPA, so expected points added, 31st through the first six weeks. Small sample size, we're going into two-game window here, but sixth through weeks seven and eight. And that is, whatever it is, has clicked the last two weeks. And slight tweaks and sort of variations, but there hasn't been anything dramatic. It's not like we've suddenly got three players back and the whole world different. It is just now working. And hey, if this defense plays for the rest of the year, everything's in play. Um, You can probably get enough to sneak in the playoffs if you're lucky. And it's a, it pains me to say it because it's a corny phrase people love, but it's a championship caliber defense the last two weeks. If you have a top 10 defense, you just need the offense to be elite and you are well in seams. And, there's nothing more to say. And I, I think that's why you can turn around and I would love to give it a seven, but since I can't give it a seven, I'll give it an eight. Um, I'll save one other bit. I was going to say for game balls, because th- there's a wild card guy that he didn't play that many snaps, but I think he's definitely worthy of a shout out. Paul defense. Cause I got two things I want to talk about. All right, cool. Uh, I'm going to go with an eight. Um, I thought in general, solid on the defense. Tacky Tacky had a great game. Um, but my game ball goes to AJ Green, the only interception. And um, look, I know he's not out there every week, every snap causing trouble. But I think two, three years ago when we got him as an undrafted free agent, most overpaid. You know, he's out there now starting if we could get one uh, undrafted free agent like that every year, the Browns would be in a great place. Um, You'd send Jack's cap heart to, to heaven. Um, but yeah. The only thing we missed on offensive Woods, I thought, you know, was it his first game? I thought he looked electric fast. Second game, was it? Yeah, second game, yeah. But yeah, he looked electric fast. But anyway, I know we're on the defense. He's, but, he's um, contributing, yeah. But yeah. we're talking sixth rounds. And I think there's a guy that we drafted later than Michael Woods that Jack's going to bring up. He gave you a little teaser before, but I have a funny feeling he's going to come up here shortly. But yeah, um, the only other name I want to mention is like when we signed Emerson, you know, he didn't have a lot of snaps, didn't have a lot of stats. But, but you know, he's out there a lot. 
Newsom and the uh, what's he called? D Jones, the, the uh, older Dion Jones, yeah, the guy we just brought in. Is he the guy that's changed it around for us? Because I think since we've had him, we've had some better results. Is that fair? Or not I, really? No, not I really. think a big benefit is a certain linebacker called Phillips no longer on the field. Yeah. T, t, to that point, Paul, it's a veteran, right? Deion Jones has played football in the NFL. So he's able to come in and it just kind of tells you how basic Joe Woods is making it for these guys. That a guy in his second game can kind of step in and play not great, not, you know, K, uh, what's his name? KJ Wright level play, right? Not Bobby Wagner level play. The guy can just step in and be average and the defense elevates. So it's kind of an addition by subtraction. But to your point, Paul, I mean, Joe Burrow, I think, is regarded as one of the top quarterbacks in the league. You held him to 25 of 35. He looked unsettled all night. He threw for 40 yards less than Jacoby Brissett on eight more completions. He only averaged 6.6 yards completion. To your point, one push-off touchdown. Uh, yes, we all saw T. Higgins stop uh, with the interception. But Joe Mixon, eight carries, 27 yards. I mean, he couldn't get going. P. Ryan had the one. I mean, Higgins really didn't do much until that push-off touchdown. So the Browns defense, we talked about this a little bit before. There's two things I want to talk about the Browns defense. First thing is, this is, I think, the first time this season we've seen the defense operating in the environment it was designed for. And that is get a lead and then hold on to the lead with pressure and coverage, right? So now all of a sudden there's certain guys that are getting pressure that weren't getting pressure before. And now we got Emerson, we got guys in the back. So I think this is the first time we've seen this defense operate within the structure that it's supposed to, you know, we're going to get pass rush with four. We're going to drop seven. We're going to run some amoeba looks, even on this, the sack, I believe that Taki had, if you watch, I think he stunts or Deion Jones, I think even had the sack. Well, one of the sacks you're stunting from an a gap all the way around behind miles Garrett through that C gap to get these sacks. And Barry talked about it today when he was asking about the, the defensive identity, he said, listen, we're not a two gap. You know, and, and the idea behind that is a defensive lineman would be responsible for two gaps. He's basically saying each lineman is responsible for one gap. It's very simple. They finally kind of seem to have put the pieces together. And I think they were just daring the Bengals to run the ball. And they weren't. I mean, I listened to the Manning uh, cast and he talked about how many times the Browns were running just man under. And that's why those trail techniques you saw where they were trying to run those back shoulders and Emerson was there. And Eli even said, he goes, they're basically saying to the Bengals, we know you're not going to run the ball because if that was the case and they're running the ball and you're running those trail man coverages, the running backs are running with the guys not looking at them. Right. So I think that the Browns had an idea of what they wanted to do against the Bengals, which leads me to my question. We, I briefly brought it up in the pregame. There's this stigma in the NFL that when you play a team in your division, they get to know you better than everyone else. Well, the commonality between the last two weeks is it's the Ravens and the Bengals, two teams that Joe Woods seems to have very good success about. Why is it that this Browns defense performs better against the teams like Lamar and, you know, obviously before Big Ben and Burrow? These are guys who will see them twice a year, but the defense performs better then Bailey Zappi, who doesn't see him at all. Like, why am I just completely mind blown by the fact that our defense does better against division opponents than I am non-division opponents? Someone help me out here. We just need to hire another defensive coordinator for non <laughs> Co- for We're going to wait, wait, Wade Phillips, the 75 year old that everybody wanted. He's going to come in and work part-time. But I think Paul touched on Taki Taki and um, it has been a phenomenal change for him because he was a Sam linebacker that had a big decline in snaps last year, excelling on special teams, but that was it. And when the opportunity came for him to have a run at middle linebacker, he has excelled. Um, And it was one, we go back a whole week before this game. I was saying, Hey, if they don't go for Walker, Deion Jones, he's shown the ability to elevate around him, but doesn't have quite the level of play you want. Tacky tacky could be this guy. And my God, has he turned it on in this last game? He was phenomenal, um, especially when you consider the the expectation for someone like Taki Taki is low. So could he continue that across the rest of this year and prove that he should be the middle linebacker that's kept is 100% something that wouldn't surprise me at this stage. Whereas if you'd have told me that two games ago, I'd have probably thought you were drunk. 
Um, but Miles Garrett's special mention, he had a phenomenal game, um, was right after the quarterback all the time. It was that that time and that challenge to go, hey, blow up a game. And yeah, he went and did it. And uh, yeah, just you can't ask much more. Are we going to get on to game ball? And I, tacky tacky is where I think the game ball should go, but I want my honorable mention. Jack, who were the P? Do you remember who the PFF top graded guys were? Yeah, so Miles was one, Tacky Tacky was two, Emerson was three, and it was a distinct top two. Emerson is a massive top three, and then they're sort of um, who number four. Who, who I was gonna say is number four a game ball? Number four is my honorable mention. I want to give Tacky Tacky the game ball, but I think okay. an honorable mention deserves to this guy because Miles Garrett is a freak um, of nature, but there was twice in this game where I thought it was Miles Garrett. And if there is something that is, uh, and it was, I wasn't alone. You've got people like Jake Burns, people at the OBR. I think there was people in our chat that were discussing it. We thought this dude was Miles Garrett. And it's only two snaps where we thought he was Miles Garrett. So we're not saying he, he's the next coming or anything too crazy, but there was flashes. And that is Isaiah Thomas. There was twice in this game where he passed rush moves, got off the quarterback, and you're like, oh, that's Miles. And then you're like, is that number 58? That looks like 58 that just got off that quarterback. That's not 95. Yeah, and, and, and that, it, it's genuinely exciting because Jadavion Clowney stunk up the place. Um, interesting to note, wasn't out there on the first drive at all. Still haven't seen any reason why, but that is incredibly questionable, worrying. Um, is it bad attitude um, and they just want to send a message to him? Don't know. Alex Wright, I still think there's a lot of promise with, but it's going to take time. But Thomas isn't hanging around. So interesting one to watch with him. Um, if if they can get both of those guys to develop into nice rotational pieces for next year, puts them on a really, really solid position where they can go and spend someone as a starter, but then constantly move it forward. So genuinely excited for um, Thomas. And they won't care if Thomas ends up as a better player than Wright and they end up with a starter out of him. It doesn't matter where you dropped in the seventh from the uh, third. So, um, yeah, fully um, really excited for what you can provide. Listen, we talk about the the benefit of pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. You need to develop these guys behind because you can't just constantly keep taking first round draft picks on the defensive line. So if you can get a seventh round pick, not the point guard that used to play for the Cavs, but the you know the pass rusher out of Oklahoma that came in. Even if say Alex writes your pass rush four, right? We talked about those Porter Augustins, those Carl Nassips. Like who cares who's three, who's four? You need three and four. You need actual guys, you know, because I think Clowney, it just, it looks injury related to me. I'm, I'm not going to go out and say that it's, you know, they probably maybe had kind of a scripted defense where they were going to go out in the first drive and, you know, send a message. And they probably said, listen, we know they're not going to run the ball. Who knows? This is where your advanced scouting. Maybe they come out and say the Bengals throw the ball on 75% of the chance uh, time on first down burrow at first right two seconds boom balls coming out that first play boom screen pass so they probably had an idea that would be my guess on Clowney. um but the idea is you got to get these pass rushers i mean the bills you talk about all these top defenses the rams the bills all these guys they just have pass rush and they have it for days and you're right there was one time when isaiah got his stat sack and i was like holy care holy cow miles Garrett just killed that guy and then when he stood up i was like that's number 58 that's not 95 wow and what do we always say about rookies we don't need to see it consistently. We just need to see flashes of what you can do. Now you just got to build on it. Just keep building. We got nine games left. Keep building because it would be great to see somebody develop underneath him. I'm giving it a nine, by the way. I said, you guys, it's, I just think defensively overall, I didn't see much. I'm not even going to hold that against Greedy. That was literally vicious. I mean, from what Mari Cooper allegedly did to Marcus Peters versus what T. Higgins did to Greedy Williams, I Higgins should be in prison. I thought that was the best defensive performance they played. It's the first time we've seen them play the style they want to play. So I'm going a nine, but I can be overruled. I still think I, 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 I want to see even more for a nine. Oh, five sacks isn't enough. Suckers. Hey, when you got Joey B, and, and people think Joey B's amazing but you've got to remember the guy's a born and raised browns fan and it's not a coincidence that he sucks the place up twice a year when he plays it his cleveland browns that is a valid point you heard it here first paul our resident special teams expert 
Was a special special? <clears throat> I gotta be honest. I didn't really um I didn't really follow it enough the special teams, and that's the truth. We did we had a block kick, right? Let's let's point out all the negatives. We had a block kick. We had a 12-yard punt, if I'm not mistaken. It was a meaningless punt, but it was still only 12 yards. Anything else? Actually, it looks statistically like it went down as an eight-yard punt. Both returns were 11 yards. Oh, 10, 10. So, because I got two punts, 33 average, which means it was a 67. So, we had a 57-yard punt and a 10-yard punt. So, Bojo hit a Bojo shank. Yeah, I said um, the, the punt return, kick return were both 11 yards. Yeah, coverage was fine. Six. I mean, I, I thought your, York was doing this interesting thing. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll give you your 30 seconds of Kate York. A, the 55-yarder was mashed. That thing was halfway up. That was mashed. The extra points. Did you notice him kicking these low bullet stingers? Like, he, he must have known, like, they're not really going to try these. So I don't think he wanted to get them up and let the wind adjust them, kind of hit like a chip. He was just hitting these low stingers right through the uprights. It was a little interesting to me. There was a couple of them that I was like, is that going to go in? It was right down the middle, but it just had this like knuckling type of effect to it. So I, I think you just got to be patient with York, but I mean, his ability to hit that 55 yarder. I mean, that's, that's what you want to see at an 85% clip. If he could make 85% of those field goals from that distance, 55 and above, I'm good. I want over 90 from above 50 and I want 85 from 55. Those are my limits. And anything under 50, I want 99%. Jack, thoughts? I think I want to go for a five just because at the end of the day, there there was disappointing moments. It wasn't punishing moments though so it's not too bad Do you not remember d'anthony bell absolutely laying the wood on the opening kickoff he got the momentum started <laughs> off right that was Oof. good talking about it like what the 10 12 yard line anytime the other team run the ball out the end zone yourself there you go he got tackled at the 14 yard line for mike prefer that's like a 10 yard handicap that's like a, a pinned inside the five uh, he loved me my daughter agrees what happened on the next play I would have fired Joe Woods. The bubble screen pass? How on the first oh, the defensive 12th. player of the game can you have 12 players? And it, it, it got that silly. You could see Jacoby Brissett counting in the huddle nearly every time they panned the camera around to the Browns pre uh, in the huddle before they snap, uh, went out to snap. He was counting how many players were in the huddle. That's how ridiculous it got. That he just had no confidence that the right amount of people were out on the field. Listen, it's the first play of the game, all right? Jadavian Clowney wasn't in there. There was some cobwebs. Listen, it wasn't that bad. No, we did talk about the penalties. And I think not on Woods, but somebody procedurally on a position coach messed that one up. I don't know who the player was. I don't know who the extra one was. But there was a couple of plays that the, uh, there's a girl point out, the Bengals. Right before their 12 men on the field penalty, they had a third down play where they only had 10. So they went from 10 to 12. So it happens. I get it. Bengals defense stinks. Stinks, I tell you. And I don't care about this no second half touchdown crap. We put an end to that in the first drive. I believe I called that. Um, here we go. So we're going to give it a final number? Six. I'm on five. He went six. And it's the huge disciple. The namesake. Six. Oh, uh, do you think Stefanski got his calls right on the night? I, I, I thought the uh, Paul, uh, Ian, I think, touched on the only major call was just to go for a two um, there because if you don't get that, you can sometimes take the sort of and, and that just sense of um, air leaves everyone's lungs. But I, I think there was very little to call, and that was great because if you're having to make fourth down decisions something has gone wrong in the process for you to get there because you don't want to be making even third down calls you want to be converting that nice and early first and second down onto the next series and i think that was so much impressive stuff and this this was the coaching stuff you want still give me a new special teams coordinator and andrew berry He's never going to be that lively in a press conference, but well away, he was not happy with special teams this season. 
and I, he's not on about the specialists there. There was not a question about the specialists. We were quite positive about the specialists, but not about special teams. Said six facets of the game. Six. Six. No, it was for a team that came out, I think your point about Stefanski, I think he saw in that first quarter that they, could, they couldn't really get out of their way. They had that miss, the blocked field goal. And then I think they had the interception there as the end of the first quarter. So coming out in that second quarter for them to go to finish the, the half, they got the touchdown and then to double dip with the field goal at the end of the first half and then score a touchdown there to start that second half, kind of push it from an eight, nothing to an 18 to nothing game. I think he played that right. So a lot of times we talk about the brilliance of Bill Belichick when he's able to do that double dip. I think, it, you know, we got to give Stavansky credit. I think he played that pretty well in making sure that we got that. Jack, for a novice like myself, why are we going for twos, not four kicks? So I would do it all the time because you score more points. Um, but in this scenario, when I think, was it an offside? What, what was the penalty for? Too many men. Too many men. So you can get the opportunity to half the distance to the goal. So yeah, he had already made uh, that. He had already made the extra point. So you could either accepted it, taken the point, or I'm sorry, accept the penalty, replay the down, or decline it and keep the point. So they took a point off the board for that. So he went, can we convert from one yard? And partly it's, it's the confidence to say to your offense, I trust you guys to go get a yard because that instills that belief from the coaching staff down that you guys <laughs> for one yard man up and just get it done and they got it done easily so um but didn't we go for it twice or two just the once i believe yeah because he was three of three on his extra points yeah okay. i can i can only think of one that they went for the two there, there, there were several red zone plays where they went for it and continue morning so um uh, it was just a really, really nice performance all around. All right, guys. The next thing to discuss, the next game. Jack. Our guy, our guy Jack has a nice little bye week laid out for us. So it's time. This is, you know, draft season. There's going to be a local reporter in Miami for, for the podcast. He's going, to, he's going to get a little suntan. He's going to, you know, match that ginger hair with a little ginger glow. Uh, but Jack, tell us what you're going to be doing during the bye season. So we've got the bye week next week. So we're going to record a whole series of shows. We're talking about the plan. I'm not saying it will happen. The plan is potentially to drop six shows next week. Six all brand podcasts. Um, we're just going to go through the entire team and have that sort of early dip into what next season looks like as it stands now. Um, in the roster, each of the position rooms, who stays, who goes. Um, what we could do in free agency in the draft and we'll, we'll go through it systematically because it's about what players you want to re-sign what do you want to do in free agency what do you want to do in draft and draft's always the wild card because you can't plan draft as the initial and you feel needs in free agency um, but just to have that initial sort of which guys are on the bubble um, and there'll be some players where it's like hey they're playing for their future with the Cleveland Browns for the rest of this season and sort of put that spotlight on who that is. So that's the plan for next week. So the first one will drop probably on Monday, um, but it might be Sunday. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I believe it'll be Monday we'll drop the first one, and then there'll just be every single day uh, we'll drop a whole range of them. But then, yeah, moving out of it next week. Then I'm off to uh, Miami for the game. So be a crazy one. I don't know how much I'll be on the podcast the next uh Two weeks after this bye week, um, I'll be around on Twitter causing chaos. Not sure our technology budget will extend to you having a mobile office in Miami, but I think we're going to put in as many shows as the Browns are going to have meetings. The famous word that this organization likes to use on the bye week is self-scouting. So if the team is going to self-scout, why aren't we going to self-scout the team? Sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, just some breaking news coming through. Miles Garrett. Highest graded player, ninety-two point nine. Is that overall? Uh, let me get it up. I know that uh, Joe Thomas has just uh, tweeted it out. No, Nathan Zagura actually, the highest graded player in football this season, Miles Garrett, ninety-two point nine. Uh, doesn't shock me. 
doesn't shock me. Uh, he does a lot player. of things very good. There's two players with more sacks than him this season. Yeah, I, from a sack standpoint, I know that he had a couple games there where he was missing, but consistently just somebody that teams have to double. I mean, the funny part was, Jack, and you saw it, Samaji P. Ryan tried to chip him, and he just played that right into that spin move, and Joe Burrow standing there staring it down, and then all of a sudden there's Miles Garrett after spinning off of a chip to go, hey, Joe, time for you to go to the ground. Let's go. That shit he can do that, that's the shit he can do no one else can do. He's got 41 pressures and he's got Parsons and Judon tied second with 39. So he is leading the league in getting to that quarterback and causing chaos. So uh, good stuff there. Um, Nick Chubb needs to pick it up. He is 0.1 behind Josh Jacobs for PFF grade. So, uh, Come on, Nick. Jeez. Georgia, Alabama. Come on, buddy. Is he still leading the league in rushing? Oh, hold on. Do you know who number four is? Oh, number four, four graded running back in the NFL. Tony Pollard. Oh, yeah. The man, the myth, the legend. Don't ask him to pass block, but he sure can run. He had a nice game for my, uh, my fan duel this week. So, all right. Well, well, we'll round up the troops here for the weekend. Sounds like it's dinner time at my house for the little one. Um, anything else we want to add, talk about, go over? Nothing. Positive vibes. Positive vibes. Good stuff. All right. Well, gentlemen, on that note, go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.